with guys. I am Caleb Giddings, and you I'm are Keith. Oh yeah, uh, we're gonna do it that way. All right, so I'm Caleb. That's Keith. I'm Jack. And you're listening to Gun Day Brunch. And before we get into anything else, I would like to thank all of our wonderful sponsors for supporting the show. And you can watch this banner right here if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're listening to this on one of the audio streams, thank you very much for listening. And again, before we get into the episode, make sure you like, share, subscribe, and do all of those things that boost us in the algorithm. And with that being said, I would like to introduce this week's special guest, uh, Larry Correa. If you don't know who Larry Korea is and you're watching this show, I have a series of questions for you, most of which are how, because uh, I would describe Larry as the most prolific pro-gun author who's not just pro-gun, but is also good at writing, because there's a lot of pro-gun authors who aren't very good at writing. But Larry, you're a New York Times bestseller and a whole bunch of other accolades, so if by chance, one of our fans doesn't know who you are, Larry. Give us like your the 10,000 foot view of who you are and why they should go buy your entire back catalog of novels. Well, uh, yeah, so I am uh, primarily a fantasy author. I do some science fiction, too. I started about 12 years ago actually uh, uh, selling books self-published on Internet gun forums uh, back in ye oldie times, back at the dawn of the you know Internet. And I've uh, been doing that for a long time, and um, <laughs> it blew up huge. I've uh, written 25 novels now and a whole bunch of other stuff and collections of short fiction. Uh, traveled all over America doing book tours and sold uh, millions of books now. And it's been a hoot. It's been a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I am a New York Times bestseller. I, I, I used to be <laughs> before they found out what my politics were, and I haven't made it since. And I'm, I'm doing – yeah, it's funny how that works Larry, out. Are you I'm, saying that the New York Times bestseller list isn't based entirely on book sales? Um, no. Just a little. <laughs> wiggle room. There, there's yeah. some wiggle room. It's curated. <laughs> there's a handicap. Yeah, no, so I, I, uh, I've written a lot of books and uh, I've got a lot of fans. I, uh, I'm proud of that. And uh, I, at one point I was the number one bestselling author in Baghdad and Bagram. So that tells you a lot about my fan base. I uh, I started out writing for gun nuts and people who, you know, love B-horror movies and shooting and uh, that kind of thing. And I've, I've just kind of run with that. I've expanded that outward and uh, gone from there and actually have a pretty normal career now. I, I write to more than just gun nuts, but I'm still always a gun nut at heart. <laughs> so... Yeah, no, that's, I, I actually, I, I, and I, um, I do a lot of stuff with my fans. I interact with my fans a lot more than most writers, and I really enjoy it. I, I have, like, honestly, I have, like, the coolest job ever. I was telling uh, a friend of mine today when we were talking about the show this afternoon that I had the Bayon E arc, like the early reader arc of the first Monster Hunter novel for my iPhone 3 and uh, like that's that's a series of references that have dated me extremely poorly um <laughs> before i went on top shot so that's how long ago that was and i remember reading it and the main character had a double stack 45 acp kimber that was when kimber was importing the bull 1911s yep. and that's such a deep cut like at this point that you tell somebody, oh yeah, Kimber used to import, import these Israeli polymer 1911s. And they're like, 
I don't understand any of the words you just said. I, I actually had to bust one of those out the other day to put a pit. I have one and I, I had to take a picture of it and put it on the internet because we're talking about the history of double stack 45s and people had never heard of that thing. And I was like, are you kidding me? This gun was awesome. This was back in the day when Kimber was good. That thing ran. Oh my gosh. I, I put a ton of rounds to that gun over a lot of years. So that was actually my three gun gun for a while there. Cause we had the rule where there was He-Man or there was a pump 12 gauge 308 rifle and uh 45. I think so, we call that heavyweight. Yeah, He-Man class. That was fun. Is it heavyweight now? Heavy, yeah, metal. Heavy, the rules. heavy metal. Heavy metal. Heavy metal. Heavy metal. Yeah, back in the day, it was, and they did have a rule against double stack 45 because there's guys shooting Glock 21s. Uh, so, yeah, so it was 45, and uh, and, I, and I could run a pump 12 gauge really good. And then I actually ran an, uh, a Century Arms FAL. Ooh, <laughs> ooh strong play. Classic. Classic. Larry, can you tell us about the current book lineups that you have? What's going on? What's coming? What are people might be interested in? Because there's a reason we had you here today. Sure. Um, so I have a new release came out this week. Um, this is Noir Fatale. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's the sequel to Noir Fatale. It's called No Games for Nights. It's an anthology that I edited with Casey Ezel. I know, uh, I know Jack, you know Casey. Yeah, that uh, cover is a who's who of my friends. Oh, yeah. Actually, I should move <laughs> my fingers there. Um, you guys all know Seth, uh, Seth Anderson Bailey. You guys, mm -hmm. S.A. Bailey, he's in here. Um, I think you know Griff Barber. He's in here. Yes. Uh, got a ton of, oh, let's see. Um, really famous people. We got Laurel K. Hamilton's in here. <laughs> I mean, no Laurel, but no. This is uh, so this came out. It's noir, sci-fi, and fantasy stories that Casey and I edited. That came out this week, and then my last, oh. last book that came out uh, was Servants of War with uh, me and Steve Diamond, and uh, this came out last year. Really cool. Is that a uh, Mac next on one, the cover? Uh, that is out. a Mac on the cover, and it is done beautifully. <laughs> oh, dude. Okay, so think World War One Mac. I'm in. Uh, sold. Sold. Is there an audiobook for that? Because I. Uh, I yeah. Yeah, there anymore. is. And I actually I haven't listened to it yet, <laughs> but I keep hearing it's really good. I haven't had a chance. I can't. I can't switch between series when I'm writing. I can't go listen to one of my other books when I'm working on another one. <clears throat> But so think World War One in a, but it's like in a, a fantasy world that has dark fairy tale magic. So it's World War One Eastern Front, uh, and these guys are piloting basically mech suits built out of dead golems. Is how they is how they work, and it's it's pretty awesome. It's 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 a good book. I mean, I'm really proud of that one. So I mean, that, thoroughly recommend that one. That sounds amazing. And confirm the audiobook is amazing. Like it's, it's funny because it's that really reminds well me of like as a side because we're all kind of nerdy on this call. And I remember when I watched the um <laughs> friggin' uh Harry Potter uh Magnificent uh, Special Beasts or the Secret Beasts movie, right? And in the first one of those movies, they alluded to the fact that World War One happened in the Harry Potter universe, and I was like I want to see that movie. I don't give a sh uh, uh, I don't care about these beasts or the Great Depression. Show me <laughs> Harry Potter World War One. That's what I want to see. Uh, yeah, that's called the Battle of Second Psalm, and Larry also wrote that. <laughs> I did write that. <laughs> Hard magic is fantastic. Uh, yeah, the novel Hard Magic. Um, uh, so it's uh, the book is set in the in nineteen thirty. So I, I did a. Um, that's my answer to Harry Potter, I guess. That's my magical wizarding world. 
amongst the real world. But no, it's so it's 1930s Great Depression. But the main character is a uh, is a World War One vet. And so in World War One, I, I had that uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Remember Teddy Roosevelt tried to set in real life tried to set up a volunteer battalion to go to World War One. Well, in this he did. Only it was all magical people, and so the entire battalion was people with magical powers. And they went over there and they got into the fight with the German equivalent to it and became the biggest battle in human history and biggest and most destructive battle in human history involving like a million of the Kaiser's zombies. <laughs> when World War I ended with the use of a Tesla death ray. Uh, for the record, if somebody optioned the rights for that, I'm in. Just, they I'm did, in. actually. Um, yeah, Radar Pictures. Uh, Radar Pictures owns the right to hard magic. So... You know. Can I ask you how many projects, and I, if you can't answer this, I totally understand, but how many projects do you have optioned that are sitting in development hell right now? Uh, two. Um, I actually have two sitting in development hell. So Monster Hunter uh, has been optioned by Entertainment One for quite a few years. Um, so on that, they just keep paying me every year, you know, and uh, every now and then I get an update and they're like, yeah, we've done this and this. They don't hear anything for another year. And then a year later, I'll hear, oh, we brought on so-and-so, and he's going to do a such-and-such. And I'm like, okay. And then I get a script treatment. I was like, okay, cool. And then I've been doing that for like seven years now. Uh, and then last year, they optioned Hard Magic. Uh, that's Radar Pictures. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't worry about Hollywood too much because you can't chase it. You, you can't do anything about it. And I know all these other writers that like really freak out, try to like chase Hollywood. Yeah, no, nah, I don't. I don't. If it happens, it's like winning the lottery. <laughs> I don't know. So something I want to ask you as a gun guy, um, Monster Hunter came out, what, 2007, 2008? Uh, yeah, so the self-published version was 2007, and then the Bayon version came out in 2009. So that really, it, it's, it's interesting to me because I started reading your books about the same time I became a gun guy. And those definitely had some overlap because I, I was like, Ashley Express sites, I know what those are. Like, it was kind of cool to me. Right, um, before they we, were... Uh, right, XS yeah, Express. Yeah, before they were the XS sites, they were Ashley Express sites. That, again, I, have, I have Ashley Express sites on that Kimber, on that Israeli Kimber. You <laughs> mentioned it in the book. I fucking remember that part from the book. That was There's my, that was my gun. I, the site picture. It was the gun for guys that couldn't afford STIs. <laughs> I, I appreciate it because I was always grinding for an STI in 2011s, and that was always something that was kind of cool to me. But what I want to say is we've come a long way since 2007. We've, the world has changed in firearms. Is there anything you wrote about guns in 2000, back in the early days, not just the first book, but any of the early ones, that you wish you could go back and change? Like uh, just a factoid that bothers you or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple times where I jumped the gun where like a gun would be new and it came out and I'd be like, wow, that is cool. I'm going to put that in the book. Right. And then within a couple of years, they've actually gotten out in the market and we've actually played with them and shot them and saw how good they work. So at one point a uh, trip is armed in monster hunter. I think it was vendetta is armed with a Chris vector. Yeah, which, I do it. <laughs> so cool looking. I mean, okay, so you guys know when I'm writing this book, it's like 2010 ish. That gun was brand new, and man, it looked hot. That looks so cool. I played with it at Shot Show, and I think I did actually get to shoot a demo. And the demo gun ran great, as you know. You know, it's demo gun. 
And I was like, you know, like, hand picked or all. Yeah, no, and it's incredible cyclic rate that's just like a buzzsaw and it doesn't rise. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. That's going to the book. A couple years later, people have actually bought them and they, you know, malfunction every bag or two. <laughs> and I'm like, hmm. Oh, another point I gave a poor trip. The XDM 45, no, the XD was before the M, XD 45. Because remember, when the XD came out, we're like, okay, this is great. This is a great deal. It's a, at the time, we're like, okay, cool. This is the this is the Glock killer. Uh, I bought an XD 40 when it first came out, a little gun, you know, uh, true confession time. <laughs> and I owned it for about a year. And uh, I was like, wow. Wow, this is... This is something. <laughs> One of the points in the original Monster Hunter book that I can't read anymore without busting into laughing is when they're clearing the ship. They're they're clearing, and you go blazing one hundred lumens of light. Like, oh. <laughs> Guys, remember when hundred lumens blinding one hundred lumens? That was sure like, and and I'm like, I don't think I got one less than a thousand now, guys. <laughs> I know, I know. My carry gun, my carry gun, I've got a mod light on it that I can see to outer space, you know? I could, I could, this, this, I mean, I got it on my, I, I got a, I carry a Beretta LTT, usually an RDO, you know, and I got a, I got a mod light on it. That's a great gun. And I got a mod light on that thing, and I could, this is better than the, what I used to spot spotlight coyotes with from a pickup truck when I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know? The thing is nuts. But yeah, 100 lumens, that was a big deal back then. Also, <laughs> monocular night vision. Yeah, night vision if, if MHIK get some quad tubes, what hope is there for the rest of the world? <laughs> I know, see, now it's like we can run quad nods and everything else. But but back in the day, you know, I was. that's the problem when you got a series that's run for 12 years. Uh, t- t- hey, they had flip phones too, okay? So Owen, had, <laughs> uh, Owen had a Blackberry. Uh, at one point, Blackberry. his phone was a BlackBerry. And, you know, there's stuff, though, when you're writing contemporary stuff, life is just going to pass you by, man. There's nothing you can do about it. Like the so I, I actually... Because that the, that's the part I remember. It was... Yep. You gave the feds FS2000 bullpups, which is, I also knew is because you didn't like the feds. Like, fuck these guys. Let's give them the forbidden <laughs> tuna gun. <laughs> I did. I gave them, I gave them the forbidden tuna to be fair, though, think about it. Like, like if you did have a secret federal agency who was just buying whatever they want, you could totally see the FN would just sell a bunch of stuff. I mean, okay. come on. They also did have scars and G36s, which just screamed fed with budget. <laughs> yeah, Scar H's in 2007 is definitely writing a blank check. Mm-hmm. They probably got me F2000s just as packing material for the scar crates and then said oh you bought 700 scars would you also like 700 fs 2000s for free Just threw them in the oh, box free? Here. yeah i i mean i actually kind of i i'll be honest i i'm one of those guys i have logically i know all the problems with bullpups right but that part of my brain is damaged and i don't know why i i bought a hellion this year I did, and actually, I really am enjoying it, and it runs really good. But yeah, I I had an F two thousand. The trigger on that thing is just the worst, like it's the worst, awfulest. But you got to admit, it's kind of fun when you're shooting and the brass starts falling out the front. I also own a Keltec RFB. Ooh. I was about to say, have you ever shot the uh, FS two thousand slightly pointed up? 
Oh, no, I have not. Malfunction City. It is not having a good day. Man, the Keltec is one of those guns where it's like George Kelgren wants to set off a 308 next to your head. Hard pass. Just <laughs> not, not into that. I it's saw made it. of real metal, guys. We promise. Oh, it's it's here's the thing like the metal the metal cheek piece gets so flipping hot and it's also kind of honestly a recoil accentuator like like because the way you got the metal you in the face. it does you feel it you feel the bolt moving back and forth right under your cheek as you shoot so this is one of those guns i got for fun and i take it out to the range like maybe once a year or if there's someone who's never seen one before you take it out and you shoot it i don't even think i currently have an optic on it because i like shoot it so rarely that i it doesn't matter <laughs> but actually I'll, I'll say this the well you'd think if post malone was your neighbor that you'd have better internet <laughs> i was just thinking that Larry is currently uh, fighting the internet monster that came out from the uh, 56k dial-up. <laughs> I was going to say that the Keltec RFB that someone once described the Keltec RFB to me because of the way it heats up as cuddling an HKP7 that you've done mag dumps with. Ooh. Well, while we wait for Larry's internet to return, uh, we're going to go around the horn real quick, and I'm going to start with Keith. Keith, what is your favorite book series from Larry? I have to say that initially Jack got me into Monster Hunter several years ago. All right, we've, we've got a DC from Larry. We'll get him back in here. But originally it was Monster Hunter. Um, I, I liked going down that original arc. But then he dropped Son of the Black Sword. And by book three of Son of the Black Sword, it was my absolute favorite series. Bar none. <laughs> I actually have the hardback of Son of the Black Sword. It's like the first so good. So good. Oh, I like I that. That's one back. of those, especially with the audiobooks. Like I, I can, I can always listen to that. I can always listen to those books. I always have a good time. It's so well done. And that was Larry's first venture into, and he's, he said it on other interviews I've watched. That was Larry's first venture into true high fantasy. Cause whenever apparently he had tried to write high fantasy before he ended up in a different genre and he's like yeah i did high fantasy and they're like no no you did urban fantasy and they're like oh <laughs> all right guys i'm back sorry about that i don't know what oh, no worries no, no we, worries we were post just malone saying that uh for someone whose neighbor is post malone you ought to have better internet uh <laughs> <laughs> I, that, that's elon musk's fault um i don't think posty comes out here for the internet though yeah probably not i feel like he might come out there to not have internet actually <laughs> uh side point if you guys get a chance check out post malone's country album covers fire there. they are amazing dude i had no idea who he was until all the local teenagers were freaking out about him being in town and then i started listening to his music that dude is super talented like he is really good there's this one video and i can't remember it's a video with him and another guy and the video is like they ride a limo out to the country and then they're doing all this country stuff. They're shooting guns and driving four wheelers. I don't know if you know what video I'm talking about. I, I think I know the one. I just remember that's, one where he wrecked. That's my backyard. Doing like, mag dumps with a 249 with a can mm -hmm. on it. And I was yeah. like, Post Malone money gets you 249s? Okay. I, yeah. I, I will never forget that 
like one of Post Malone's uh, like great lines to me was uh, spent my last check on ammo. And I'm like, brother, I feel that. I feel that. I too have said, I can I can play around with some ramen recipes. We can make this work. Uh, yeah, but you see that you see that one video, and there's funny because there's like a part where they're they're panning the camera around the valley, right? And you can see this beautiful mountain valley. It cuts off right before it gets to my house. Like like so when they're panning across, it's then it stops. And why is cause this is a flex video? <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's gonna be right. And then it stopped right before our house. And I was like, what Come on, man. <laughs> well, there's there's New York Times bestselling author Larry Korea money, which is very nice. I'd like some myself. <laughs> and then there's Post Malone money. Oh my god. Which gosh. might be somewhere a little north. Dude, yeah. No, this guy. So so the first time he came to town here, and I don't I, I don't know what the guy, I think it's just like a vacation thing. He's probably going like 50 houses, who knows? First time he came to town was in a Lamborghini. And so we have this little country gas station, right? And there's a friggin' Lamborghini gassing up at it. It stands out just a little bit when everything else is like a Ford F-150 or a Dodge Ram, you know? And so then the next time he came to town, it was like in a fancy, fancy, tricked-out Land Rover was like the low-key vehicle. <laughs> Post Malone. This is my dirt, dirt trail vehicle. <laughs> I've really heard is the guy is like a really nice dude. Bad thing oh, is, was we were, we were building our house at the time. Uh, and it's up, on, it's up on this hillside, right? And so we would get teenagers wandering around looking for wherever it was Post Malone would live. And so I was really worried that teenagers were going to like fall into our basement onto the rebar. <laughs> At one point I was out, it was just funny, I was, I, I was looking like a total redneck and I was actually burning trash. So you got to drive past where I shoot and it's all got all these steel targets all busted up steel targets right i'm down there in a four-wheeler with a with a 55 gallon metal drum and i'm burning garbage me and my dog and, I, and i'm and i'm i'm at these four college girls and it's like kia sorrento drive up my driveway and they see me and i'm like clearly what they're what they're and like and i'm like just turn around and as they're looking all rednecky burning trash and they're like, oh, sorry, we just got lost. I was like, no, you didn't. Just turn around. <laughs> is, I was like, this you know what you're here for. Like, you have the wrong place. I promise. This is not that guy's house. It's this this is not the that other guy's guy. house. Oh my so, uh, Larry, you've got a project coming up that you've kind of talked a little bit about. Can you kind of tell us about this nonfiction book that you've got coming up? Oh yeah, this is really exciting. So. Uh, I got approached by Regnery, which is a nonfiction publishing house. They do a lot of political stuff, and they uh, wanted me to do a um, Second Amendment uh, rights book, like a gun rights book, uh, specifically like political commentary and the and uh, all the different issues. And the reason they came to me is all the different blog posts I'd written over the years on the topic. You know, a lot of those went really viral. And uh, they're pretty effective. And so they approached me about doing this book, and I had one month to do it. Um, because the way nonfiction works is very much, you know, strike while the iron is hot, uh, while something's in the news. And s the bad thing is, is I, was, I mean, the ATF just keeps changing stuff. <laughs> and, like, every day there'd be some new something. And so we finally just had to, like, I, we had to get the book to press. And so at the end, 
because uh, it's now in editing, is actually it's in front of the lawyers. So lawyers are checking it to make sure everything in there is good. We're not going to get sued. We had to put a little addendum at the very front saying, you know, please check the current regulations because this stuff changes faster than the speed of printing. And uh, no, I'm really excited about this. It's actually, um, it's a topic that I've been involved with for, you know, close to three decades now. And I love this stuff. And it's something I've been fighting for. I've been involved in gun rights uh, in different ways for many years. And uh, so I was, I was happy to do it. I really hope it helps. I wrote it in a way that's not quite as conf uh, confrontational as I normally am. Um, Cause I wrote it with the goal of it's this kind of thing that anybody could read it. So if somebody is actually on the fence or they're kind of decided one way or the other, but they're not, you know, set in stone or for people who are on our side, but can't articulate why they believe what they believe. Um, I, I, when it comes to political stuff, I'm usually pretty good at being the guy who can articulate what they're feeling, but they can't state in an argument. Um, so big part of the book, I go through every single anti-gun argument you could think of. I go through every proposal. I go through all the usual laws. They always propose the same ones. Uh, and I just break down, like, what are the issues with that? Why would, why does this fail in real life? What happens when we do this in real life? Tons of examples, uh, tons of footnotes. <laughs> There's a lot of footnotes in this. Um, yeah, I know. So it was, it was a good project. I'm really excited. It's actually already a bestseller. It doesn't come out until January. Uh, so we announced the pre-order. It shot up to the top of Amazon. It was like in the top, it was like number 13 in all in nonfiction for a couple of days. I think it was the highest we got. And then yesterday it was number one in a couple of genres again, just because I brought it back up talking about it. And so I've actually, it should be based on numbers. It should be a New York times bestseller just off of the pre-order numbers four months in advance. Um, that said, I fully he expect would, them. Sure. I fully expect them to screw me and not put me on there, which actually I'm ready for and I'm excited for because I'm going to use that as extra marketing. <laughs> I mean that that's one of the things that's been interesting is how your fan base, which is very passionate, responds to you know these marketing messages where it's almost like oh. The New York Times doesn't want to list him on the bestseller list. Well, let's go buy more copies. Yeah, they're spiteful. I have the most spiteful fan base, and it's awesome. <laughs> I love, I love my. I'm actually, I'm blessed. I've got the coolest fans of any writer I know. I would, I would put my fans up against anybody. I, I love my fans. Well, you know what's what's interesting about that is, and this is to harken back to my firearms industry writing career like you know, on the nonfiction side of when i was very very early and first starting out a mentor of mine told me a quote that is stuck with me to this day which is that the only literary criticism that matters says pay to the order of on it and i think that if you abide like and i mean if people are buying your stuff and they're enjoying it then who gives a shit what you know some dude in manhattan thinks about monster hunter tits and ass which when jack moves his head to the side that is a really great cover like that's i don't even know which <laughs> book that's from i'm like i don't remember that. uh that's this the, is, that's one. the last one that's yeah, okay. bloodlines yep. this is bloodlines okay uh which initially i selected because i'm in bloodlines yes i'm a very big fan of that i canonically exist in this universe but also that that cover art though <laughs> there's some other stuff going on but i knew what the people wanted yeah lana's thick 
is that is cover art right there, and that is that's uh, that's art. What and what's interesting, Larry, is you actually said that scene earlier, in the book too is she's on her turbo murder game, like <laughs> she stacks some. People. Well, I've actually had people I had before the book came out. I had like negative reviews, like oh, this cover is so misogynistic. It's like, lady, that's a succubus. I mean, that's, that character is literally a succubus. She is a sex demon from hell. What do you think she's going to look like? I should, I should call her, guys. I'm gonna need. <laughs> you need to call an ex, Jack. Is that yeah. what we need to do right now? Uh, one of my exes in, in this book, also. <laughs> do you have something? Are you trying to tell us? Something? Well, uh, so she's not named, but the bar that is described. I was dating the one of the people that is kind of mentioned. Not by name, but I, I always find that hilarious also. <laughs> oh, dude. Okay, so Jack was actually my, my bar reference because I needed I needed a certain kind of location for this one scene, and they were in Atlanta, and I needed to know if there was a certain kind of establishments within you know driving distance of Atlanta that fit this description. And Jack's like, oh, so many. And he just starts like rattling off cool details. Like, all right, I can build a, I can build a setting. I could build a setting off of this. And then afterwards, I just went ahead and added him as the bouncer. <laughs> I was, I was Get like, out of my oh, bar, devil I, man. I was reading it, and I was like, <laughs> oh, that, that might be me. And then they call out the name. I'm like, that is me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just so funny, too, because, like, all this horrific – because it's a, it's one of those it's – a, it's a tough place. And then all this horrific, like, awful, monstrous, magical, weird crap starts going down. And and the, the bouncer's just like – Yep, and he just gets up and leaves. <laughs> Certainly I mean, it's like, Tuesday. It's like ghost fire Solomon Kane and his demon hounds come in to kick ass, and he's like, yep. <laughs> and uh, that sounds like it's over my pay grade. It was. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't read it, but that, that that's a fun book. I, I really I really enjoyed it and it was one of the first it's one of them that threw me a curveball. I won't bring up what the curveball is, but I thought I had a face at the curveball. Yeah, I thought I had a grasp on what was happening, and then I clearly did not anymore. <laughs> yeah, that was I've been planning that for I've, I know exactly what you guys are talking about. I've been planning that one for about five or six years. So that was good to finally be able to deliver on that. So Larry, I'm a gotta, chess master, man. I plan this stuff way in advance. So, Larry, I, we've got a, I got a we got a couple of questions before we before we wrap this episode up. Uh, one from me, which is, are you gonna do any more Swords of Exodus books with Mike? Because I really, I really liked those books, just because it was kind of the first time you ventured into like the GWAT sort of commentary on you know the Middle East and shooting people in the face, which are two of my favorite subjects um and I, if you're not that's fine that's okay the three that we got were fantastic and then the second question to that is completely unrelated but is what do you what authors do you read oh okay okay so per, uh, first part of that no plans currently um though it is possible and we've actually talked about bringing on another dude who we really like named peter nealon i don't know if you've already read peter stuff dude is awesome um Former former recon marine turned uh, danger guy contractor. Good dude, good writer. And he actually did a short story for a set in that universe too. Uh, problem right now is for both of us is I've got so much other stuff going on. And then Mike's also been launching his solo career. 
which has actually been going pretty good for him, and he's been really trying to get that off the ground. Um, and so it's one of those things. It is possible we could revisit it. And we do actually know what the basic story uh, of the next one would be if we revisit it. And the best way to describe it would be old man Lorenzo. Um, yeah. So you know what a crusty bastard he was at like 40? <laughs> and we would just move it up in the timeline, you know, correspondingly. Jeez, I love those books, though. I can see why you like them being a revolver guy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the revolver in that and the six twenty five and Monster Hunter are you know very to me they're very iconic and one of the things that I've actually I've actually referenced the those books when talking to people about revolver capabilities and I'm like, look, this is fictionalized, yes, but there are people on this earth who can actually do these things. So yeah, you know, we had we had twisted. two guys. We had two or three guys in that series who were revolver guys that were specifically, and we based their 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 skill sets upon dudes who really do shoot so revolvers that well. Micklick. Yeah, well, actually, because we had the old guy Hawk. Hawk Hawk came back from the day of like you know uh, like, like that guy would have like come up with Bob Munden. You know what I mean? <laughs> that guy. So we did old school oh. gunslinger dude, and then we had Valentine run in a six twenty nine. Uh, but yeah, no, and I, we made sure we got our we got our speed loaders in there. You know, we got our revolver speed loads. Very dramatic. <laughs> Dropping the speed loaders. Speaking of authors I like, though, that's uh, like Mike Cooper would be one I would recommend. He just had a book come out. It was kind of a noir sci-fi detective uh, called Trouble Walked In. Really good. Another author I really like because uh, his cover quote sitting there behind Jack's head. I love Jim Butcher. Jim Butcher is awesome. Uh, Jim is great uh let's see who else well there's a bunch actually so i'm trying to think i the problem is when you're an author is you know too many other authors you know what i mean and so it's hard to recommend uh i i mean i'm i've written a book with john ringo but uh john did a book that i really recommend it was john casey ezel and uh chris smith uh did one uh gunpowder and embers there's a post-apocalyptic thing where mankind's being destroyed by giant ants it's really badass. I really enjoyed that one. I read that one a while ago. Um, geez, good question. Good question, Caleb. You had to go and stump me there. There's a bunch. There's a bunch. Oh, well, I'm always interested in, you know, the authors that I follow. Like, who are you reading? Because, again, I as I said earlier, I don't have a lot of bandwidth for reading, but I've gotten into audiobooks. So yeah. last question, and then we'll, we'll put a bow on this episode. Uh, have you read or listened to Heat 2? Not yet. I have not. I love the movie. I've heard conflicting things about the book, so I'm kind of worried. I would say that it is it is hard for me to see them doing a movie of this, um, but it is really good. Okay. Um, I'm about three quarters of the way through it, and I've really enjoyed the ride. Yeah, because, man, I love the, the, the writing in that, the writing in the first one, it's so good. It's such a tight, tight. That said, though, I did not realize I, I run uh, I run charity games for cons, and I, I run Gritty Cop Show is what the role playing game is. And I did not realize how ineffective a detective Al Pacino was until I ran a game version of Heat. And when you do that, you realize that he does no detecting whatsoever, and basically every single clue in the movie is somebody just comes and goes to Al Pacino and says. Here is the next clue. <laughs> uh, the, they're not at the bank robbery at all. Yeah, you should go here. Okay, and even then, this thing, 
Oh, that's from so-and-so. Let's go see so-and-so. Oh, it's Henry Rollins. You know what I mean? Every step of the way is it's just given to him. So Al Pacino is actually the worst detective ever. <laughs> so, I, so this raises a, a nerd question, which I promise to the people who are listening to this, we will actually end the show at some point. But the nerd question is this. Who is less effective, Al Pacino in Heat or Indiana Jones in Raiders of the Lost Ark? Oh, man. Ooh. You know, and that's another one, though, as, as a writer, you really think that through. And I mean, he really like he basically the Nazis would not have found the Ark if it hadn't been for Indiana Jones leading into it. And then the Nazis defeat themselves by opening the box and dying horribly. And it's like by not reading the instructions. Yeah, there were the clear instructions. instructions. Well, they had a French archaeologist, man. Come on. <laughs> Okay, so the moral of Indiana Jones is don't hire the French to open your sacred Israeli artifacts. Weird. I know, right? <laughs> oh, I do. Before and maybe you end, read I do, the instructions. I got to show you guys one thing, and this is directly Caleb's fault. This is your fault. You wrote a little article about the Spectre Comp. Oh yeah, because I sh so I was at a media event and I shot that, and I was like. This gun's really good, and it irritates me how good it is. Well, okay, so you wrote that, and then I was like, well, I'm going to check that out. And and uh, so, and right after, right before that, I had uh, uh, checked out Annette's Gray Guns 320. Uh, Annette Evans had that really slick one that uh, Bruce Gray did. I was like, wow, that's nice. I got, I got to give. I had a 320, but it's just a basic one. I was like, I got to give it a look, dude. I have 2,500 rounds through this thing now, and I haven't cleaned it yet. Uh, and it, it it's badass. <laughs> I am the most diehard Sig P320 hater on the planet. Uh, I will go to bat against that gun, but the Spectre Comp is really fucking good. He also it, hates bullpups, but likes the X95. So I also especially like the X95. <laughs> so this year I bought a Hellion and a Spectre Comp. You know I'm on a roll. <laughs> And a bunch of antique shotguns. That's that was my year. But yes, I just had to show you because that is directly your fault. I am not even a little bit sorry. And for people who are interested in learning more about Annette Evans, who Larry just mentioned, she actually was my co-host on last week's episode where we talked about instructor red flags and has co-hosted the show a couple of times before and can be found online at On Her Own Life. Um, Larry, any last words for our listeners before we wrap this one up? Oh no! I'm just glad uh, glad I was able to come on, and uh, I appreciate it, guys. Much uh, I had a good I, time. I will speak for the others. We'd love to have you back at some point. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm always happy to talk about gun and nerd stuff. You know, it's funny. We're about it, it's really funny how, what a big crossover there is between the gun and the nerd communities, right? Like, oh yeah, the number of people that I and I'm not even talking about like people who own guns. I'm talking about people who are seriously invested in high level competition or high level shooting people in the face who also know how to roll up a D and D character. True story. So many years ago, uh, back when I owned a gun store, it was and we were right next to National Guard headquarters. So it was National Guard weekend. I had about 20, 25 dudes in the shop. Uh, wearing uniforms, you know, and we were next to 19 special group, uh, special force groups. They're mostly Green Berets, you know, hanging out, shooting, buying guns, you know how it is. And somebody made some joke. Uh, it was a D&D &D joke. Oh, it's because I had my competition gun on the wall and they asked to see it. And they said it, they described it as plus five Vorpal. It was my plus five Vorpal <laughs> AR. And uh, so I handed it over and, and everybody laughed when they said it. And one dude didn't get it. 
He goes, what's plus five Vorpal? He didn't get it. Everybody else got it. One dude. We had one dude who did not understand the D&D reference, and then it turned into this big nerd talk of all these green braids talking about D&D. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, there is the crossover is huge. A lot of nerds in this business. Really, really are. All right, guys. Well, that is it for this week's episode. Again, huge thank you to Larry for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, everyone out there who's listening, as well as our one uh, Google Podcast listener. You're still what, what? going strong. We have one guy. So, Larry, going strong. That. we have one listener because I see the metrics who downloads the show on Google Podcasts. One guy. <laughs> that guy is a fucking legend, and I love him. There's also I... two maniacs who download the raw MP3 file from the RSS feed. Those people have chopped up people in their basement. I'm concerned about them. <laughs> but anyway, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, please, you know, like, share, subscribe again. Do all of those uh, social activities that uh, help us keep the show going and make sure you support our sponsors. Uh, thank you again to Larry. And we will be back next week with another episode.